This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this, this is Work of Tomorrow on Business Radio. Here's your host, Kristen Tervish. Welcome to Work of Tomorrow here on Business Radio. I'm your host, Christian Tervish, and we're here for you every Monday night at 5 p.m. Eastern, followed by replays throughout the week. The purpose of my show is to explore how work will change in times of globalization and digitization. I want to understand the work of tomorrow. Now, just a couple of weeks ago, we had a special show on games for once. So I thought we should put the work of tomorrow aside and instead talk about the play of tomorrow. Well, that show was so much fun and I got so much buzz from uh, the social media that uh, my producer, Matt Dads, and I decided we should have a follow-up show on games. There indeed is a lot of good stuff happening in the gaming space. Good old board games are still going strong, be it games like Monopolies or The Settlers of Catan. But online and virtual reality games have created an entire new genre of games. Uh, Pokemon Go, for example, has been downloaded by hundreds of millions of players and has created over a billion dollars in revenue. Pokemon Go is not played in your living room, but instead turns the real world into a big playing field. So games at home and games in the virtual world are the topic of my show today. To help us explore this topic, I will be speaking to two wonderful guests. Tanya Thompson is the Director of Global Product Acquisition at Hasbro. Welcome, Tanya. Hey, Christian. Nice to be with you. Hey, Tanya. Uh, How do you at Hasbro call your customers? Are we your gamers? Are we your players? Are we your customers? How do you call people like me? Uh, People like you that are buying our games are, we typically call you consumers. I I hope you would have thought of me as a player, but I I take consumers. Um, (laughs) So you you produce what we all play. If uh, you had a couple of hours, uh, either tonight or if you think back to the last weekend, do you have like a favorite game that you like to play? Uh, That's a common question that I get asked. And... um, my answer to that is really, it depends on who I'm uh, playing with. So um, if it's uh, a bunch of other gamers like myself, if it is uh, my family who tend to like lighter games, if it's my, um, my teenagers, uh, my kids, then um, it just depends on kind of the level of... Um, Basically, the, the the level of gaming that they're interested in, because there's such a diverse, um, you know, spectrum of games. But I'll say with my family, since I've got teenagers, um, over the Christmas break, uh, they brought out and they love to play Speak Out. And it's this game that is... Um, where you put an appliance in your mouth and then you have to speak. You may have seen this online or on different um, shows and whatnot, and it's just hilarious, and that's why they love it, is because it really makes um, a really fun time together, and so they love kind of talking with this appliance in their mouth and, and also watching their friends do it and trying to determine what it is they're actually saying. Now, Hasbro is a $5 billion corporation, uh, can you tell us a bit about Hasbro, the product line with, with brands like PlaySchool or Tonka? Sure. So we're a global play and entertainment company, and we're committed to creating the world's best play experiences. So from toys and games, but also to television, movies, digital gaming, and consumer products, Hasbro offers a variety of ways for audiences to experience its iconic brands. So you probably know many of them. Um, they would include Nerf, 
My Little Pony, Transformers, Play-Doh, Monopoly, Baby Alive, Magic the Gathering, as well as our premier partner brands um, like Disney Princess, Marvel, and Star Wars. So you mentioned that um, you are active in the video and the online world. But if, if I, I think from the perspective of, I mean, one of my all-time favorite games, which is, I guess, why I'm in business school, has been Monopoly, um, uh, the good old board game. Is there a certain revival of these good old board games? Uh, as a gamer myself, absolutely, I've seen this. Um, and I think it's because um, over the last, uh, let's say, five to ten years, there's been this move towards digital experiences. And I know as a parent myself with three children, uh, I'm looking to create experiences where I get face-to-face -face with my kids and we connect over the table. And so I'm not the only one with the, this desire as my kids grow and wanting to stay connected with them. Um, and also just other people, that face-to-face -face experience is so important. And so because of that, I believe um, the board games where you actually are face-to-face -face with people around the table and it creates such a, a great experience to connect with others, um, that platform has increased. So we've seen um, an increase in board games uh, in general and people wanting those kinds of experiences. So the user need is some form of digital detox here, right? I mean, we're spending so much time at work, at school these days in front of our screens that just talking to people, being at the same table seems like a real user need still. Yeah, there's a real balance that people want, both with digital and face-to-face, -face, and the digital so readily available. Um, you're, you're, we're now looking now for getting back to face-to-face, -to -face. so absolutely that balance is important. Would you see the digital world, online gaming in particular, would you see this as a disruption for you that U.S. Hasbro had to react to, or do you just see this as part of just kind of that's how any industry goes? No, I think it's a part of being a company in today's environment. You know, we're embracing digital as much as we're embracing analog, and it's important for us to do so. Consumers want to connect with companies across, like, multiple platforms. So there's not only the physical product that we produce, but there's also, you know, movies and, and other multimedia effort that we focus on. So we're across the board, and I think a company needs to be in order to, to survive in today's environment. Do you, do you think the, the consumers have in mind Hasbro as a company, or do they... I mean, you have like a thousand brands within within Hasbro. Do they resonate more? Do they think of Play School or Monopoly as is that the level of kind of emotional brand identification? I think because Hasbro has been blessed with so many incredible brands that people would think of the brands um, from their childhood or from great experiences that they may have had. Um, and then there's also the newer kind of like Magic the Gathering is uh, part of Wizards of the Coast, which is also owned by Hasbro. And they have a digital experience called Magic the Gathering Arena, which is online. So there's lots of different kind of ways that we're connecting to consumers. And that's important because I think in these days and times where everything is very much in social media, 
um, consumers are looking for a way to connect with the brands that they buy. And that's why there's, you know, we're at Comic-Con. We have uh, HasCon here in Rhode Island that we do, which is a, like a Comic-Con, but only focused on Hasbro brands. And it's a way for us to connect with consumers because that's really important. Can we go back to my kind of the, the, the game that I played as a child? I remember when I played with my own children when they grew up and I almost look forward to playing with my grandchildren. Yeah. Monopoly, right? So yeah. um, I was surprised when I went on Amazon this morning to kind of figure out how much a box of Monopoly uh, costs. It was surprisingly cheap. Has, has, do you know how the price of Monopoly has changed over the last kind of 40 years that I've been playing it? Well, I I don't know kind of the the history of where it started and where it is now. I do know that us as a games team, we're certainly very much aware of what consumers uh, will pay for a game. And so that's always top of mind when we're putting out games is kind of what is the threshold? What is the sweet spot? What is it that consumers can afford? So whether it's just increased with the kind of the, 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 the timing of it from back in the 1930s to now, uh, obviously, um, would have increased. But in terms of kind of our awareness and, and when a game is, um, is developed, it's definitely top of mind. We have the consumers in our in our you know where the consumers are are willing to pay. So you have with Monopoly, you have created many spin-offs or versions or customizations of, of Monopoly as, as as forms of innovations building on. Are there like online versions of of Monopoly or kind of digital versions, or has it kind of stayed that uh, that square playing board with four times ten rows and and a jail somewhere in the upper right? Right. I know that um, I'm not sure actually if there's an online version. I do know that there is a lot of um, kind of online um, focus around Monopoly. So, for instance, when we redid the tokens a, a number of a couple of years back, where we were looking to update the tokens, we used our community online in order to vote on those tokens and decide which should change, wh why they should change, and we we went through a whole kind of uh, revamping of that, and we used our online community in order to do that. Um, and then, of course, there's if you went online. I'm sure you saw Fortnite Monopoly. It was a big hit over the holidays for us. And that was a way of capitalizing on the obvious popularity of the video game of Fortnite mm -hmm. and then creating a, um, like, uh, an, on a table uh, top version of it through Monopoly. So let's talk about your business, really. This is business radio after all. So from a revenue perspective, I can see that you, you, you sell a box that's going to stay again with kind of good old board games. Uh, again, I saw uh, on Amazon Monopoly-based version was selling for $13, $14. Uh, that box is, uh, is made in Asia, I assume. And you're selling it uh, with, is, is that a, can you give us a rough sense of what it costs you to produce Monopoly? I don't know those actual numbers in terms of what the production would be. I just know that, like in my role, what I'm doing as a person for Hasbro is I'm looking for new game ideas. And I, and I speak with um, inventors all over the world in order to do this. And so I'm more focused on kind of bringing in new new ideas and new concepts versus kind of the the the, the retail end that you're speaking of. So let's let's talk about that process from kind of game to idea. So uh, 
there's in any company there's some form of internal innovation and there's kind of external innovation to acquisition. So it strikes me that um, you must make the choice as the director of global product acquisition of to what extent you can innovate a new title by having a, an R&D lab, if you will, right? A, a bunch of people playing and kind of experimenting versus looking at kind of inventors outside and, and, and just acquiring these games. How, how do you think about that innovation process? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, the way that we look at it, and I'm part of a, a bigger, certainly acquisition team, but also I work very closely with the games team. And we have this phenomenal internal games team. And when we're looking for the direction to go, we aren't necessarily looking, is it internal or is it external? We're just looking for the best idea. And the great thing here about Hasbro is I can honestly say that the, 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 the leaders of the games team and the people in the games team, it's not so important where the idea comes from. What, what's most important is what the idea is and if they think consumers will resonate with it. So it's, it's great. So what I'm doing as an individual is I'm out meeting um, inventors, both our lovely traditional inventors as well as brand new new inventors, and I, I kind of collect the ideas that they share and pitch to me, and then I take them and I present the ones that I think our team would be interested in, and I present them to our internal team. And the internal team looks at them and really looks at it with an eye, like the eye of, you know, could this be a great hit for Hasbro? And does this align with what we're doing? And so uh, if it does, then we move forward with that and we um, will license the idea from the inventor and uh, move forward with the concept and develop it uh, in-house. So that's kind of how it goes is we're just looking for the best ideas. It's not about who or where the idea comes from. In case you're just tuning in, you're listening to Work of Tomorrow here on Business Radio. I'm your host, Christian Tevish, and I'm chatting with Tanya Thompson, the Director of Global Product Acquisition at Hasbro. And we're talking about innovation, internal innovation through people coming up for, within Hasbro about new kind of titles and concepts, as well as acquisition and external innovation. Uh, so, Tanya, where, where do you meet? You, you mentioned you listen to these pitches of inventors. Uh, where do you meet these inventors? Uh, are they like are they like big fairs? Are there kind of standardized processes that people come to you and contact you? How do you find people who come up with new games? Yeah, so that's a that's another good question. There are trade shows within our industry that I attend. So the toy fairs, they're called. There's uh, the largest one in in North America is in New York. It's coming up in February, so that's the New York Toy Fair as well as the largest toy fair in the world is in Nuremberg, Germany. So I'll be uh, going there as well to the Nuremberg Toy Fair. So there's a trade shows that we go to that the inventors, both new and, um, and, and established, will attend. And they'll set up an appointment with me and we'll, they will pitch me their concepts. But then as well, we're kind of looking for innovation everywhere. So those trade shows that I spoke of, but then there's also other um, events, uh, innovation conferences, people or places where innovators, you know, will attend and we'll meet them there. And they might be somebody that's completely outside of the industry at the moment, but they have an amazing play experience or an amazing play idea. And so I'll meet with them uh, there as well. Uh, some people will connect with us um, through, we have um, in an online portal called Spark. 
So spark.hasro.com, and uh, people will go there and submit ideas. So we're really trying to find ideas all over. I do a lot of travel. So um, I last year, for instance, I was in Israel. I was in Japan. I was in South Korea. So it's not it's it's global. We're a global company, so we're looking for uh, ideas from all over the globe. At what point do you know that a game is becoming a blockbuster? I mean, you you've been in this profession for a while. You talk to many people. Is it that you can you, you see a game and you know like yep that's going to be great? Uh, I read somewhere that Monopoly from when it was launched by Parker was initially rejected a couple of times because people yeah. saw it as too long, too complicated. Yeah. So at what point do you know that something is going to be like a Settlers of Catan or like a real break a breakthrough a blockbuster? So you can imagine I'm seeing so many um, ideas through, let's say, the course of a year even. Um, and so for me, when I see an idea that either I know is aligned with our, our initiatives and what we're doing internally, or I look at an idea and it's completely surprising or interesting to me, that is always means something to me in my gut. When I see something and I'm like, oh, I've never seen that before, that's super interesting. I think that might be right for a mass market consumer. So that's what I'm looking at when I'm out kind of uh, traveling and looking at um, different concepts from all over the place. Uh, there's also um, what we think is going to provide the best play experience. So it might, so for instance, there's a game that we launched uh, in 2018 called Don't Step in It. And it is a tremendous success for us. And it's this uh, wonderful game that has a lot of, like if I say Don't Step It to you, to you and you see the, t the the front of the box and it's a child that's blindfolded that's about to step in a in a pile of play-doh poo um, then you kind of understand immediately what it's about but also for me it's more about and I think for our consumers it's about the experience is uh, just going to be a, a you know a, a happy joyful one and so it obviously has resonated so I, I know kind of at the beginning where it's like wow this would be a really interesting experience Experience where people are used to playing with Play-Doh with their hands, but certainly not their feet. And what a great payoff that is. And what a great concept that people will be able to look at and automatically know something about what the game is about. And then now it's hit the shelves, and so we know it's a big success. So um, that is, uh, that, that's a game that I'm super proud of. So that's interesting. Uh, talk about children, right? I mean, uh, we are all gamers, players. We love to play. But for, you know, speaking at least for myself, uh, childhood is a little behind me now. And so when I now look at a new title, I must basically form some empathy with the children playing it and imagine, like, how they would react to it. Is the product development process for children's games different than for grown-up games? Um, I think that when we're developing games, uh, the consumer who's purchasing the game is obviously an adult or um, like a, a parent or a caregiver, and but they're purchasing it to play with um, their family or some other people. So it, it really depends on kind of we have different divisions of games. So we have children's games and then we have adult games. And what we're looking for is uh, different because with um, – uh, a child they're they're looking to be you know they're looking for silly and fun and for an adult it might be something different so we kind of look at that we're, we're, we're thinking of the consumer we're thinking of the end play experience and who we're trying to actually connect with 
Are games you mentioned uh, the 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 child is I don't blame them looking for fun and something you know that makes him laugh. Are games uh, from the parents' perspective are they becoming more educational, functional? I get the sense that especially parents in this country they are so eager to prepare their children for college and some kind of big kind of learning payoff that comes down the street. Do you see that your customers are more demanding? not just for a laugh, but some 10-point improvement in SAT score? Yeah, I mean, I started my career as a teacher, as an educator, and I've worked for other smaller companies before, and there's definitely that is something that is on the rise, which is like parents who want an experience that is going to be educational and teach their child something. I think here at Hasbro, um, you know, I'm when I'm out looking for games, I'm looking for whatever that amazing play experience is at the end with the people around the table. So it tends to be like full of fun and laughter and often in this environment and in, in, in our society, things are always so serious and, and kids are exposed to things so much earlier, which are, are very much serious, like the, the state of, of, of our climate and, uh, and all, all these other sorts of things, getting into college as they grow. There's so many stresses. So for, for me, what we are focused on at the moment is kind of that play experience at the end and if it's full of fun, joy and laughter. How well can you predict how a child will react to something? So uh, I can tell you, I mean, you had this great example with Don't Step In It. Uh, was it in it or on it? Do you, you, the Play-Doh, the feet. Um, you can tell me the story, and uh, I might have a humorous reaction or not, but, but that's me as opposed to the child. How, how, how well can you imagine uh, how a child reacts to something? Well, I think there's um, a lot of experience and kind of knowledge that goes into why we decide to do what we do. But then in the end, it all comes down to if the consumers resonate with it as well or not. I think that we at Hasbro have a, a great sense of that and, and have, um, when we're thinking about that final experience, um, have a, a way to kind of know and, and have been very successful with it. Um, and so... Um, but I mean, honestly, we none of us knows until it hits the market. That that is what is the real telltale sign is how the consumers react to it. So that's interesting. Uh, and I say this, Tanya, with all due respect, but designing a game is not putting a man on the moon. And so the the cost of trying something are relatively low. So when you launch a title, um, do you really uh, get the feedback on the market and see what sells, or do you have like an internal play lab? where you get uh, a certain number of, 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 of children and grown-ups show up and you pre-play the game before launch? Yeah, we're definitely doing a lot of testing prior to the launch. So everything that comes on shelf, it doesn't come uh, onto shelf like haphazardly. It's there and it's been well thought out and it's been extremely um, kind of really examined. And so we do have an internal, what we call a fun lab here, uh, where we have families that come in and they're part of testing. And a lot of our games go through that testing to kind of really figure out what is the best experience that 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 happens with people that are that we're focused on the game uh, so if it's for kids then we bring in kids if it's adults we test with adults so that is all done on the front end because we want it you as you, you said it's you know it's different than putting a man on the moon but for us it's just as important because 
putting out great play experiences for for myself and for Hasbro is just really important. We want, you know, we want to increase joy, love, and connection um, in in the world. And so we put our, our our hardest and our most biggest efforts into each product to get it to shelf. And so things like you said about testing and things like that, we talk to the markets, we talk to um, the consumers, we we get we do a lot of evaluation in order to get it to shelf. So speaking of FunLab, as a, as a business school professor, I think of any kind of workflow as a process. So you must have a certain number of ideas that you consider for games that you consider every year and you test a certain number with, uh, with, with, with kids in, in FunLab and then you launch yet a smaller number. Can you give us a sense of how this kind of innovation pipeline or funnel looks like that for every game that you launched, have you played five games that you didn't launch and had a thousand ideas that you rejected can you can you give us a sense how that pipeline looks like yeah so i'm basically the 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 numbers roughly would be i'm out there and in a year i might see over 2000 concepts and then on average i might bring in uh 500 internally to show and then we may license somewhere around 30 in the game space and um and Somewhere between, say, 15 and 30 will make it to shelf. And from those ideas, the concepts that we've seen, and then, and then um, about, you know, there might be one to three hits so in a year. So it's not, um, I, I respect inventors and the people and innovators that I meet with because the odds aren't great. But, I mean, if you get a hit with Hasbro, it's a big deal. Well, and I think that speaks to your management competence, right, that you really are good at managing that innovation pipeline from the 2,000 concepts to the kind of the 30 games that you really test to the 15 that you launch, getting three hits. In some sense, it's like the pharmaceutical industries, right? I mean, you, you can't always predict, and so you have to try stuff, and you want to be smart about that. Absolutely. Talk about, uh, as a last question, like, where do you see this space in 10 years from now? Um, so where where are things going? Um, so we're at Hasbro. We're committed to reinventing invention. So we're always looking to the future. We're interested in new ideas from new voices, and appreciate that great ideas can come from anywhere. So each person on this planet has their own unique blend of life experiences, and you know that informs how they think, how they act, how they feel. So no people are exactly, uh, no two people are exactly alike. So it's those differences that we want to celebrate, and it's those differences that inspire us to create great play experiences. So we are really considering products from all angles. Um, consumers want to travel with the brand across so many platforms and experiences these days, from face-to-face games to digital games that we spoke of, consumer products, location-based entertainment like Hascon and other things. So that's how we think about our brands and our business, and it's how consumers experience brands these days. Says Tanya Thompson, the Director of Global Product Acquisition at Hasbro. Thank you so much, Tanya. You're listening to Work of Tomorrow. I'm Christian Tevish, and this is Business Radio powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.